here in podcast part two with National Leader of the Month, William Roberts, Mr. Roberts focuses on his life experiences. He discusses his personal passion, his dream, the places in the world he would most like to visit, and the turning points and experiences vital to his development. Notice how he mixes in universal leadership lessons and sound leadership wisdom along with his personal responses. What about your personal passion? Could you talk a little bit about the importance of passion and then how that passion has manifested itself, for example, in your golf game? Well, <laughs> I don't know if I'm... Well, I'm um, I, I do like golf. I, I guess I have a passion for it. I, you know, um, hopefully I'm going to get out and hit some this afternoon. Uh, <laughs> it's a, it's a beautiful day here as, as uh, you said it was, uh, in Illinois, we're supposed to be it's crystal clear. It's going to be 79. I mean, these are, we don't get a whole lot of days like this, uh, in central Ohio. So I hope to go out and hit some this afternoon, mm-hmm. but yeah, I enjoy practicing, you know, I enjoy making shots or tr- trying to learn how to make shots. Uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy working on my feel. I, I really like discussing the, the golf swing, you know, the feel of the golf swing, uh, golf swing mechanics, uh, particularly with David Ledbetter and uh, with Bob Lore, who works for David and used to play on tour, and with, with Larry Dornish, who's the head pro out at Muirfield here in Columbus. It's fun. It's relaxing for me um, most of the time, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But that's the way golf is. Um, but um, uh, but 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 you know, if if by passion uh, you mean what things are most important to me, I mean I like to play golf, but and I'm passionate about it, and I try to get out and do it. But if you but if you mean what things are most important to me. In that sense, I'm I'm passionate about doing everything I reasonably reasonably can uh, to make sure my family's secure and happy, that my children are successful in the more most important sense of that term as human beings, uh, and to make sure the work around here is meaningful and productive. The work that I do is meaningful and productive. The work that my colleagues do here that it's meaningful and productive, and it's important. To me, the, I'm passionate about about seeing people succeed. You know, I'm, I'm passionate about seeing uh, our customers succeed. But we have a saying. I mean, we don't succeed until our customer does. I mean, that's the that's the view you've got to have if you're going to put your customers at the center. If you're going to have a customer centric business, and it, it's and I'm passionate about. It. It's very very important to me to to try to find ways. To, to to help folks that I have contact with gain something uh, of intangible value through our contact. You know, I've, I've gained, and, and elsewhere you ask me questions about experiences and, you know, vital experiences and things like that. And, and in those answers, you know, I, I explain some of the important, the very important intangible Things I've I've gained through contact with with other people, and uh, you know, and I, I hope to to uh, to return that uh, in a way to other people. Uh, you know, I hope that, that that 20 
years from now, you know, somebody, uh, uh, you know, has a conversation like this with some of the folks that, that I've worked with here, uh, and, and that, that at least a couple of them say, well, you know, I, I really learned something that turned out to be really valuable to me, uh, uh, working with Roberts. Sure. I, I hope that happens. I'm passionate about that. Be, beyond those, beyond those, those, those causes, you know, those passions of, of daily life, cancer and the environment are, are really important to me. I, I was, we, as a family, we've been sensitized to the environment by my daughter, Summer, who yesterday, by the way, July 1st, just uh, went to uh, join an Earthwatch research project in a rainforest in South America. She's a, just finished her freshman year at Colorado College, and she's very interested in environmental science and, and passionate about the future of the planet. And the fact is that, that if we, you know, if we don't come to grips with what we're doing with, uh, to the environment, uh, it's going to negatively impact virtually every every living thing on this planet. Sure. Uh, you know, and, and, and I'm passionate about cancer. Uh, I, I'm on. I'm very proud to be on the board of uh, the James Hospital and and Soloff James Cancer Hospital and Soloff Research Institute, which uh, which form the the core. Uh, of Ohio State's uh, comprehensive cancer center, which is you know one of the, I think it's there are 42 comprehensive cancer centers in the U.S. Uh, and uh, the comprehensive cancer center at uh, at Ohio State, uh, and in specifically the the James Hospital and Soloff Research Institute, uh, you know are in the top 10, and uh, and I had the great great pleasure Friday night uh, of, uh, of participating in being, well, I don't know any other way to say it. I mean, I not, this is not to suggest that I don't feel like I deserve it, deserved it, but to be, to be honored by a, uh, a really unusual organization, uh, cancer-focused organization uh, here in Columbus, uh, Ohio Cancer Research, Research Associates, and they they basically uh, raise money and provide what amounts to venture capital, you know, or venture capital research dollars. You know, uh, they don't get anything back, but it's seed money to fund new types of research, research on new things, and new researchers, uh, research projects and people that, that are on the cutting edge, you know, out there at the edge of the herd, uh, where it's tough to get funding, mm. and and over the years, the funding that uh, that Ohio Cancer Research Associates has, has given to these new researchers and and and, and new uh, explorations has resulted in in over 50, fifty-seven million in research dollars, uh, additional research dollars flowing in to Ohio cancer research institutions, and also resulted in some real breakthrough. Uh, cancer uh, discovery. So it's, wow. you know, I'm, I'm passionate against. I'm, I'm passionate about about cancer as well, and it's it will uh, cancer will 
negatively impact virtually all of us, directly or indirectly, uh, in some way, and probably in multiple ways during our lives. And to the extent we can, we need to do something about it. I actually, uh, uh, I'm going to skip back to golf and come back to cancer. Lou Holtz was in town a week ago Sunday. We okay. played thirty. We played thirty-six out at Muirfield, and uh, and had dinner afterward. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked about family, and we talked about aspirations, and we talked about leadership. We talked about football, of course. We talked about golf, but we also talked about cancer. Uh, we talked about Ohio Cancer Research Associates. And Lou said, you know, when I accepted this award, I needed to obviously make uh, give him a, a little speech. And uh, and and uh, we were talking about that, and he said, "Tell them that if that if enough people care, we can accomplish anything." Mm. And so that's the thought. I, I quoted him. I, I told him about the uh, you know the dinner and our conversation, and and that's the thought I left them with. Uh, if enough people care, we can accomplish anything. Sure. Would you like to draw any? Separate mention to a dream or your dream, or do you think that your thoughts on your passion pretty well covered the, the majority of that? Well, I, I mean, I think the dream is broader than that, but but you tell me which, whatever you want me to do. No, I mean, it's totally up to you. That, that'd be great if you'd like to talk about your dream a little. That'd be excellent. The dream is, is a uh, a utopian dream, and given what I've said about human nature being fundamental, you know, you've got to wonder, you know, to what extent could, could, could this dream ever be realized? But after all, you did ask for a dream. So, and, and I do think that, you know, that hopefully over time we're getting smarter. Hopefully over time we're, you know, we're, we're becoming, uh, you know, more uh, compassionate and empathetic. Uh, and hopefully that, you know, that, that happens around the world. Uh, but my dream uh, and this is maybe everybody's dream, you know, uh, ultimately, is for a peaceful, balanced world, you know, a world in which differences are celebrated or at least easily tolerated, uh, a world in which human rights and compassion guide political and governmental action, a world in which politicians are focused on truth and justice rather than on power and the means to achieve it, uh, a world which turns its resources to constructive pursuits, and an earth with a balanced, sustainable relationship between human beings and natural ecosystems. Yeah, that's a dream. That's a big dream. Sure. What about places in the world you would most like to visit? Well, somehow I've never made it to Greece. I've always been, um, well, since uh, early day, since the early years of, of undergraduate school, very interested in in uh, in Greek thought, Greek philosophy, Greek political thought, um, Greek history, but I've never made it to Greece, you know. So, so uh, you know, I'd really like to to visit Greece. I'd like to I'd like to see Athens, you know, and I'd like to I'd like to see Thermopylae. Okay. But uh, you know, be, but but in addition, uh, I mean, how could you not want to walk on the Great Wall of China? You know, how could you not want to see the Amazon River Basin? Uh, you know, how how could you not want to 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 see and visit the the pyramids in Egypt? Mm-hmm. You know, how could you how could you not want to see the 
the Serengeti Plain, uh, and uh, and then there's Antarctica. Uh, and I'm not sure why I want to see Antarctica, but there's something about Antarctica that makes me want to see it. Sure. So do you have any plans to get there? To no, <laughs> I don't have I don't have any immediate plans. I mean, all of these, you know, these are all pretty big trips. They are. And but when I answered the question, you know, the 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 the, the first thought I had was what, what what places do I want to see? The second thought I had was, you know, I need to talk to my wife, and we need to be start making some plans to do some of these things. You do definitely. I'm. I am not very well traveled, but I certainly have a passion for it. And of your list, a number of those are one trips I'd like to take. I have been fortunate enough; I have been on the Great Wall, and that was that was quite an experience. So yeah, I, bet I it highly was. recommend it. <laughs> I bet it was. But Egypt has been on my list for an awful long time, and hopefully someday, sooner rather than later, I'll make it there. You had talked about your experiences in your life that have been vital to your development and also some of the turning points in your life. Could you talk a little bit about uh, those experiences and turning points? Growing up in, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, which is where I was born and, and uh, basically lived, uh, except for you know college here and there, um, uh, until uh, moving to Columbus in 1979, Growing up there in a neighborhood full of kids, uh, you know, having lots of experiences, uh, you, know, and a, a, you know, lots of opportunities to play, lots of opportunities to play at leadership, uh, you know, whether that's uh, just the games kids play, you know, or, you know, or, or sport contests. You know, I mean, they're always spontaneous. Whatever the season was, you know, I mean, as kids growing up, we were playing those things. Sure. And uh, you know, so that that was, you know, that was really important. I I, I think there's, it may be that 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 we that, that kids' lives are too organized today. That there's that we don't uh, that they don't have quite enough time for, you know, this the this these spontaneous uh, interactions with other kids that that in certain respects uh, stimulate. Uh, creativity, I think, and and uh, and I don't, and, and 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 I think there's there is a, a general lack uh, of appreciation uh, as to how important play is in learning, and and you know those those play experiences, I think, were were really important to me. Sure. Um, the, the 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 second one I mentioned was learning my father's story, which uh really um was pieced together over some period of time because um uh men of his uh, of his era didn't really tell their stories uh and they certainly didn't um they certainly didn't confess to having any hardships but um my dad was born in Jamestown New York uh in 1910 and uh, his mother died when he was born. His father uh, deserted, uh, as it turned out, him and, and uh, an older sister. Uh, I never knew he had an older sister. I don't know if my mother knew that he had an older sister. Oh, wow. uh, no, nobody, you know, nobody told me. My wife found out uh, 
after my dad had passed away, speaking to uh, a cousin of his in Jamestown. And, um, but um, he, he was raised by his uh, uh, maternal grandparents who had uh, immigrated from Sweden in the late 1800s, didn't speak English. Uh, he, he didn't learn to speak English until grade school. You know, Swedes at the time, uh, there were, there've always been minorities of, of any kind of always, uh, I think in any society, you know, face some obstacles. Swedes were dumb Swedes, you know, and, and that's how they were referred to. And so he had that obstacle. But, but in addition to that, his grandparents, who were very hardworking, and maybe all Swedes were, I don't know, but they certainly were. You know, didn't think that uh, didn't see really much much need in education beyond the eighth grade. Okay. So, so he, my father, you know, as it turns out, uh, actually worked his way through high school, uh, working in a furniture factory, and managed to save enough money to go to college, and was was in college during the when it, when the depression began. You know, lost his savings, uh, worked on the railroad in the summers and worked as a uh, short order cook in a, in a cafe in Angola, Indiana. He was uh, in engineering school at Tri-State, Tri-State College in Angola uh, in order to, you know, to pay his college expenses. Uh, went to work at Magnavox, uh, got, his, got his engineering degree, went to work at Magnavox uh, in Fort Wayne uh, in, uh, in their research uh, department and ended up playing some kind of role, you know, material role, as the story goes, in, in, uh, in research at Magnavox, along with uh, a gentleman named Frank Fryman, uh, who didn't work at Magnavox, but had some connection, had an outside company that, that Magnavox did a lot of work with and was involved in, in uh, and, and Fryman was involved in, uh, in research as well. And uh, when... when uh, I'm making a long story short here, but when 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 um, when 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 uh, Magnavox filed voluntary bankruptcy in 1938, uh, you know the depression wasn't just an event; it just wasn't stock market crash in 1929, as you know. It was a series of economic shock waves. Sure. And and uh, when Magnavox filed uh, voluntary bankruptcy in 1938, uh, I'm not sure if my father quit or if he was laid off or whatever right you know the, the at least the story is that he that he that he quit Magnavox because nobody was going to get paid hardly anything and and uh, and but Frank Fryman came in to the research department uh, at uh, at Magnavox they, apparently he had the choice of either repaying a loan that Magnavox had made to his to his company uh, his outside company or becoming a full-time Magnavox uh, employee and he, um, uh, again, as, as the story goes, he uh, he mortgaged or sold whatever he could and, and bought Magnavox stock, and he ended up uh, in 1950 uh, becoming international president of, of Magnavox and and uh, a millionaire at, at a time when when um, when a, when a million dollars was really a lot of money. Sure. So, uh, you know that's that's the that's the short the short version, I guess, of of uh, uh, of my my father's story. But but I um, 
but learning that story, um, you know, helped me in a number of ways. It, you know, it, it helped me understand um, uh, my father a lot better, and it and it and it helped me um, uh, later uh, when facing uh, uh, you know some kind of difficulty or challenge. Uh, to think back and and say, uh, geez, I mean, really, this is really nothing uh, uh, compared to what my to what my dad went through. One time, you know, coming home from when he came home from from uh, from college to Jamestown. Um, I mean, I assume like colleges now, they wherever whatever they had for students to live in, you know, I guess they had dorms. I'm not sure they you know closed them at Christmas break. You had to go someplace. So he went back to uh, to Jamestown, uh, and uh, but he really didn't have a home in Jamestown anymore. I'm not sure why. I don't know what happened. Had happened to his grandparents. Maybe they passed away. I, I, you know, I, that's a piece of the story that I that is that's a gap in the story. But his cousin told my my wife at the same time that she told him about. She told my wife about my dad's older sister that she had actually encountered my dad. Well, he was probably 19 or 20 or however old he was, 18, 19, something like that, you know, on basically on a street corner in Jamestown. I mean, he went to Jamestown because it was the only place he knew to go, but he had no place to go when he got to Jamestown. You know, and this was in December or, you know, and it it gets cold in Jamestown now. It really got cold in Jamestown 75 years ago. Sure. And, uh, you know, so you think, you know, you, you realize when you think back at some of the things that your ancestors went through, it helps you, uh, puts puts in perspective uh, some of the things that you think are problems today. Right. And the the other message in that is, you know, I, I don't know that, that, I don't remember my father ever telling me that he was proud of me. I, I think he was, um, but I don't remember him ever telling me that. And, and I don't remember ever telling him I was proud of him. And, one piece of advice, not just for aspiring leaders, but basically for everybody, is um, figure out who you're proud of, you know, and and uh, and tell them. Good advice. Any other thoughts that you were going to hit on the experiences or turning points? Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I forgot you asked me a, a, a really broad question, there, didn't you? <laughs> I mentioned earlier that I... Um, you know that I fell in love with books as a uh, maybe toward the maybe the second half of my freshman year, or perhaps it was in my sophomore year of college. I guess I'd have to go back and look at transcripts and see when I took uh, Introduction to Political Thought uh, because that was really the, the the course that you know that that did it, and then lots of other courses did it too. Lots of economics courses and. And you know courses on Soviet foreign policy and history classes. I mean, all you know. Then I got, you know, then it was sort of like bubbled up everywhere. But sure. um, but one one professor in particular, uh, Mike Downs, taught that introduction to a political thought course, and uh, and he's really the, the the person. He was a great teacher, and and he's really the person that unleashed my passion. You know, for knowledge and and for learning, and for political thought, he's he inspired me to want to teach. Uh, you know, maybe that's why I 
I want to teach now. He inspired me to go to grad school at Notre Dame. He, you know, he inspired me to to be interested in in uh, in all the political thinkers, but but certainly in in Plato and Aristotle. Um, you know, and 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 again, um, uh, you know, here's a, a another um, instance where uh, I didn't um, I didn't take care of something I wish I would have taken care of. Uh, he, he died suddenly, uh, way too young, uh, not long ago, four or five. Well, time flies. Uh, maybe six years ago now. Okay. Uh, I never had the opportunity. I never created the opportunity um, to to tell him how important he was to me and how vital, uh, you know, the impact mm. that he had on me was. So, you know, so another piece of advice to everyone is, you know, aspiring leaders and everyone uh, is... You know, to, to take time, find the time, make the time to, to tell those people who were and are important to you how important, you know, they are and how important they have been. Sure. You know, the, 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 other, the other comment I made uh, in response to, to this question, or as part of this response to your, to, to your general question, was that at, at one point uh, in a conversation, I remember... Professor Downs telling me I didn't have enough last thoughts, mm-hmm. and, and and actually I had more last thoughts than he realized. But you know, when you're uh, twenty, I mean, you don't advertise your last thoughts. Right. Uh, I mean, you're you know you're, and and if you have them, you know they're uh, to the extent you have them, they're I think they're a few levels below the surface. Sure. What did he mean by last thoughts? You know, he meant meant thoughts about the legacy you want to leave, the positive impacts you want to have on other people, the intangible things, which are really the things that are important, you want to leave behind you at, at the end of life. He, he never told me what he meant by last thoughts, but I knew instantly what he meant. Okay. And, and, and I think that's important advice for leaders, uh, Make sure you have last thoughts. Yeah, the question's still open, isn't it? Well, uh-huh. I, I just don't—I just don't want to—I don't want to leave it behind until you're ready. But if you've said what you li- would like to say, um, we can certainly move on. Well, let, let me mention. Well, let me quickly mention a, a couple of other other things. Cer- certainly, a, a, a turning point, you know, or a, an experience that had a big impact on me and created a turning point was. Joyce and I got married in, in after I finished my uh, work on my master's at Notre Dame uh, in July of 1972, and I went back to to uh, IU Bloomington, Indiana University of Bloomington, to do some more work on my PhD, and I was a teaching assistant and uh, or an associate instructor, I guess they called them, okay. and uh, I, I think the stipend was $2,200 a year. And, uh, you know, even in 1973, $2,200 didn't go that far. Sure. Uh, so, so Joyce, Joyce worked two jobs. She worked as a, uh, as a, uh, a secretary 
they called them secretaries then, at IU during the day, and she worked uh, at a, uh, a local mall, college mall, I think it was called, uh, in a clothing store uh, in the evenings. And, you know, that that's an experience I really couldn't take uh, too long. And uh, so that's really what precipitated uh, that, along with a couple of other things, precipitated my uh, decision to get a job and, and uh, you know, pursue uh, the future in some other way. I, up until that point, it always, it had, for, for some period of time, it had been my uh, plan, desire, and intent uh, to, uh, to, uh, to teach uh, at uh, the college level. Okay. And the, the job I got uh, uh, coming out of, of, uh, of IU was a job at a, at a mortgage company uh, in, Colum- or in Fort Wayne, Indiana, a uh, colonial mortgage company. It was called, and the, the chairman of that company was a was a fellow named Jack uh, Jack Norton. You know, I learned an important thing about leadership from Mr. Norton. He was always positive and optimistic, and he always treated me and everyone, uh, so far as I could tell, as if they were and what they had to say was important. Now, I know that very little of what I had to say was important, but nonetheless, he treated me like it was. Sure. That feeling, I mean, I would have worked hard anyway. I was very uh, compelled, uh, and have always been. When I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about it. If I start to do something, I'm passionate about doing it. And, you know, and so I was very, felt very compelled, self-compelled to do an outstanding job. And I would have done an outstanding job in any event. But feeling valued, I wanted to do an even better job, and I worked even harder and there's a really important leadership lesson uh, in that. Uh, in addition to that, you know, I mentioned my kids, my son Adam and my daughter Summer. My son Adam's 26. My daughter Summer will be 20 uh, in August. Uh, I mentioned earlier she left yesterday for, uh, for, for this uh, EarthWatch research project uh, in South America um, studying caterpillars of some type uh, in the rainforest, but the experience of, of watching my kids and being around my kids, you know, as they grew up was really vital to my development. They're both so much more thoughtful, you know, and mature and understanding and, and empathetic, and, and they, they both worked so much harder academically and in athletics than than um, than I uh, did or was when I was at any one of their ages, that they really sort of gave me something to to live up to, mm. and you know, and I uh, and I don't not only love both of them, but I admire both of them, and and that's really a great thing I think to be able to say about your kids. So oh, definitely. Uh, you know, they they had a. They had a real, uh, that experience, uh, the experience of the two of them uh, was vital to me. Sure. You know, and then, of course, there are lots of mistakes, you know, lots and lots and lots of mistakes. And um, I think I learned from them. I think, 
you know, I, I, I think uh, in lots of ways, and, and those involved, uh, you know, it, those involving leadership mistakes, I think, helped me learn to be a better leader. You know, and, and there's a message or a leadership uh, message, you know, or something to be learned about leadership uh, from, from that experience, maybe a couple of things. You know, one of, the, one of those things is that you can read books and you can listen to people discuss leadership and you can, you can, you can study, you know, successful leaders, but a lot of it's got to be trial and error. Sure. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how you're going to learn it. You just have to be open uh, to learning from your mistakes. And, uh, you know, and you've got to be able to, to, to forgive, you know, trial and error, implicit in trial and error is, is the fact you're going to make mistakes. It right. wouldn't be trial and error, you know, <laughs> if there weren't going to be errors. Right. So, you know, so you've, you've got to, uh, you've got to be able to forgive yourself for uh, the mistakes you make. So that's a piece of advice, I guess, for, uh, for future leaders. Experiences, you ask me about experiences and you ask me about turning points, you know, they blend together. I gave you a, a, a you know, a, a kind of maybe too extensive uh, auto, autobiographical account of, uh, of turning points, um, uh, you know, when I responded to your, to your question. Uh, I, won't, um, I won't just recount those. They'll, they'll, they'll be there on your website for folks to read if they want to. Sure. I do want to mention, uh, i got to mention uh, that, you know, meeting my wife, Joyce, in high school and marrying her after I, I finished up my master's, uh, work at Notre Dame, those were certainly turning points. So I can't leave those out, and, and I want to be on record about those. <laughs> well, and you you had just mentioned that you just recently celebrated your 35th anniversary, so congratulations on that. Right, that was July 1st also. The great thing is, you know, that she's not like I am. You know, I'm... <laughs> You know, in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. But, you know, she's much more patient and, you know, and laid back and accepting uh, than I am. I've got a lot to learn in those areas. You know, I'm much more uh, driven. Uh, You know, I feel this need. If if I've got something that needs to be done, I feel this need to get it done. And, you know, she's, she, you know, she goes more with the flow which is one of the reasons it's all worked. And, and there's a lesson from that, too, and I didn't even mention that uh, in my, uh, my responses to you. And this is a, an extrapolation. It's, it's important. You know, differences fit together. You know, I mean, differences, we all have strengths and weaknesses. We all have things we're good at and things we aren't good at. And, uh, and, you know, the, the, and, and in certain respects, differences attract. And so for my wife and I, that's certainly been the case. But in business or in any circumstance, any organization, on a team, you know, you have, you have different players. You have different colleagues. They have strengths and weaknesses. You've got you to gotta learn to, we- to recognize your own weaknesses and value the strengths you know, of your partners, whatever their partner's in. Right. And, and if you can do that, and if your partners can do that, uh, you'll build a, a great enduring partnership, and that great enduring partnership will be part of, of a great enduring culture. 
And and if you can't do that, people who can only see their own strengths and the weaknesses of others, you know, are are destined, you know, for they're not going to be good leaders. Uh, they're not going to be good partners. They may get, be good managers if they're put in positions of power that allow them to control. But those aren't the sorts of uh, folks I want that personally that I want to work with. Uh, and you know, and and this goes back to to it takes me back to another question you asked earlier. I apologize for rambling around. You ask about you know whether you've got to find people with you know certain innate talents or whether the environment you know brings out uh, can bring out the it brings out the best in people or or can you know which is important nurture or nature and and. Uh, and and you know we talked about that question, or I rambled about that question for some time. But you know, an, an, another slant on that is you can have very different people with very different strengths and strengths and weaknesses. With and, and that can and that can those strengths and weaknesses can run in a lot of directions. But if if those people have one thing in common. You know, or if they can learn the value of having one thing in common, that one thing being, you know, that they need to recognize their own weaknesses and the strengths of their and the strengths of their of their partners or colleagues, business associates, call them what you want. Then those people can come together and build a great team and a great organization. If if you've got people that are unable to understand that, to see that, to come to grips with that, that being the fact that they have weaknesses and, and others have strengths, and there's value in bringing, you know, in, in filling each other's holes, if you will, then, then they're not going to fit with your organization. Mm, sure. This concludes part two. Next, listen to William Roberts in podcast segment part three.